section two of red rubber the story of the rubber slave trade on the congo this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. red rubber the story of the rubber slave trade on the congo by edmund denny morell section number two preface to the second edition in concluding the preface to the first edition of this volume i asked will the british public which in the ultimate resort has compelled exposure of a crime unparalleled in the annals of the world compel the cessation of that crime nothing which has taken place since is of a nature to induce me to alter that question which dominates the situation the belgian parliamentary debate is not over as i write these lines and it may possibly reserve some surprises for us but i doubt it the cabinet that is the king will triumph probably even though the majority may be very small and what is the policy of the king it was laid down by monsieur de smet de Nair on the opening day of the discussion the belgian government may begin the discussion during the present session of the annexation bill which monsieur de smet denier deposited in the government pigeonholes in nineteen o one the government will take into consideration the question of discussing details as to transfer with the congo state but it will only do so when it thinks the time has come for that preliminary negotiation precisely we are where we were before if the debate closes on those lines with this exception that british diplomacy will have received yet another rebuff at the hands of the sovereign of the congo state who has declared that in regard to annexation he has nothing to say at present the debate threatens to close with an unending vista of procrastination and meanwhile as the times which has been doing a real service to the cause of the helpless congo natives by the very full reports of its continental correspondents and by its able leaders says the part of regular mystification played upon the belgian people and upon europe continues after a careful perusal of the many reviews which have appeared on this book i see no reason to modify one line of what it contains notably in regard to the last chapter in which i sketch out the action which great britain is able to adopt one or two papers appear in doubt as to the practical value of establishing councillor courts the alarm expressed at the suggestion by the henchmen in parliament and in the press of the sovereign of the congo state should induce them to alter their views above all things this is what the sovereign of the congo state dreads and fears caveat councils it is the one decisive step synonymous with a firm declaration of policy of the kind below mentioned which will break the back of the atrocious system he has introduced on the congo and he knows it well far from being a mere irritant as it has been somewhere said councillor jurisdiction would be the first plank in the constructive policy of the future which is absolutely required by the circumstances of the case as i have said in this volume other signatory powers to the act of the west african conference of berlin possess the same right and were we to accompany our exercises of it with a clear 
intimation that we should rejoice if other powers did likewise, what could other powers say by way of protest? The treaty, moreover, which confers upon us this right, is a treaty of our own with King Leopold. No other power is concerned in it. For the rest, I can only repeat here what I have stated in this book, until some power or powers insists upon the integral application in the Congo of the fundamental principles of the Berlin Conference, principles which obtain everywhere in the African tropics, except by a strange irony in that vast portion of them to which the act applies. The horrors of the Congo will continue on an ever-increasing scale, whether under the Congo or under the Belgian flag. The Congo native, like the native of every part of the African tropics, must be protected in his rights in land, property, and labor. All those rights have been swept away from him by the most colossal act of spoliation ever imagined by mortal man, the right of trading freely in the produce of his soil, and in the fruits of his labor must be restored to him. What is trade? Surely it is the most elementary function of humanity. We are all traders in one form or another. It is the right to dispose of one's labor. It is the recognition of the possession of property. It is the essential basis of economics. It is the common link which unites all the branches of the human family. To remove from a primitive community the right to trade is to strangle forever the economic development of that community, to reduce it to perpetual sterility, or to enslave it. But King Leopold has done this. He has done so juridically, by claiming that a state, which he calls his enterprise, is empowered to appropriate the entire merchantable products of the land in which the citizens of that state dwell, and in practice by appropriating the entire labor of the country, for the juridical claim is worthless without its practical accompaniment. In this manner he has destroyed the normal or commercial relationship between the European and the Negro throughout the Congo Valley. He has reduced juridically the millions of natives inhabiting it from possessors of merchantable products and from ownership over their own labor to tenants upon his property. He has reduced them in practice wherever he has been able to enforce his claim to things, mere things, chattels of his own, articles of potential value for himself, his partners, and his heirs. And in so doing, he has enslaved the whole population, for what motive power remains with which to acquire the products of the Congo except compulsion, since the commercial relationship has been eliminated with the claim to prior possession over those products? And how can compulsion be exercised in the African tropics save by arming one black man and stationing him with a loaded rifle in his hand over his unarmed brother. Of this conception, one of the most experienced of West African legislators and administrators has said, and said truly, that it requires a soldier behind every producer. I repeat again and yet again that until the Congo native is reinstalled in the right enjoyed by all black men under european overlordship in tropical africa outside the congo basin to buy and sell with the european which necessitates the restoration of his rights of land tenure and the disposal of his labor there will be no change in his lot 
Surely, if this great truth is burned into the brains and hearts of our countrymen, we can afford to disregard the taunt of working for material ends and the taunt of interested motives launched at us by the subsidized organs of the Leopoldian Press Bureau. British interests in this connection mean nothing more than the right provided under the Berlin Conference for the subjects of Britain, as for the subjects of the fourteen contracting powers, neither more nor less, of commercial intercourse with the natives of the Congo. If that commercial intercourse is re-established between the natives and Europeans of every nationality, Americans and Asiatics, and, if you like, South Sea Islanders, the inhabitant of the Congo ceases to be a slave in his own home, and becomes once more a man with a man's rights, because with its re-establishment the inhabitant of the Congo enters once more into his own, is once more owner of his land, of its produce, which he alone can gather, and of his labor. What the British government will do, I do not know. As to what ought to be done, I have no doubt whatever. The government should proclaim before all the world its unshakable determination to repudiate absolutely and entirely these claims to the land, the produce of the soil, and the labor of the Congo natives set up by King Leopold. It should decline before the world to even discuss any pretensions founded upon such impossible and utterly immoral claims. It should declare them to be a negation of the most vulgar conceptions of civilized and uncivilized usage, opposed to all the legitimate interests of commercial nations, and a violation of the Berlin Act. It should declare its unalterable determination not to recognize these claims, in practice, when the legitimate interests of British subjects, white or black, in the Congo, or in the territories adjacent to it, are affected by them and coupled with these declarations it should provide in the shape of an increased councillor staff furnished with powers of jurisdiction and with independent means of conveyance the machinery whereby its declarations can in practice be rendered effective in so doing it would have a united nation at its back and what is the power which could or would oppose us in this matter there is not one which could do so without repudiating the signatures of its own representatives to the act of berlin there is not one which could advance the shadow of a moral right or a material interest against such a policy the legitimate material interests of all the commercial and industrial communities in the world would be served by such action on our part including that of belgium the fear of foreign complications is a bogey which would only become a substance if england developed territorial ambitions and it may be safely said that not one solitary human being in this country entertains such an idea at the conclusion of sir harry johnston's introductory note to this volume that eminent authority has given a clear and definite warning to the governing statesmen of the world as to the consequences which will ensue if the present system remains in force on the congo it may be specially recommended to those among us who are inclined to falter and hang back at the slightest signs of international friction accompanying positive action on the part of england those of us who are essentially men of peace and all honor to such i venture to remind those men that the continuance of the present system is synonymous 
with the carrying of desolating war throughout the Congo Basin. In conclusion, I would also venture to utter a note of warning. At the present moment, this huge evil is comparatively easy to deal with. The longer action is delayed, the greater the perils of eventual interference. And interference must come. It is utterly impossible that matters can remain as they are. By bold, courageous, straightforward action now, the evil can be cauterized. If action is long delayed, what is today an African question may tomorrow become a European question as well. Let our governing statesmen be well assured of this. There is in the atmosphere of England at this moment a singular determination to liberate, with God's help, the natives of the Congo from their unspeakable bondage, and to save Europe from shame of tolerating, by consent, the revival, under worse forms, of the African slave trade. It is a force to reckon with. It is a force which finds expression in these words of the Bishop of Southwark, words noble and true. On the attitude and action of this country in reference to the Congo will depend in a great degree England's own moral future. The statesmen who comprehended this feeling of determination, based not upon unreasoning sentimentalism, but upon a sober realization of responsibilities historically incurred, upon the clearest common sense and the soundest political wisdom, would create for himself in the annals of this country an immortality, to paraphrase Sir Harry Johnston, of good renown. Next March marks the centenary of the passage through both Houses of Parliament of the Total Abolition of Slavery Bill. The statesman who introduced that bill into the House of Commons was Lord Howick, first Earl Grey, and Sir Edward Grey is that nobleman's collateral descendant. E.D. Morell. Hawarden, December 1, 1906. Postscript. December 8th. As the Belgian debate proceeds, we observe a perpetual insistence upon the king's sovereign rights over the Congo. The nature of those sovereign rights is strictly defined and limited by international treaties. The interpretations he has since placed upon them are the very negation of those definitions and limitations. End of section 2